welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford and Woking in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. So today we are talking all things slowing. This has been an incredible series and we've already shown that we've been challenged and provoked and we've thought loads. Who has been challenged in some way by this series? Yeah, loads of us. It's huge. We've looked at hurry sickness or sorry sickness, which is a delightful Freudian slip that happened somewhere along the way. We've looked at how hurry can affect our lives. We've looked at silence solitude, Sabbath, simplicity, and today we have reached the golden nugget, the core message of slowing. So buckle up, because it's going to be a wild, but obviously delightfully slow ride. So we're going to start by reading the Bible. So if you have yours with you, turn to Luke 10, 38, or it will come up on the screen, because Georgina is very quick at these sorts of things. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he had said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, Don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Totally honestly, every time I've heard the story of Mary and Martha, I am totally on Martha's side. What is Mary doing? Get up. There's no time to be sat looking at Jesus. We've got stuff to do for him. Even when I've heard people teach on this, I'm just sat there thinking, Mary, get up. Why won't she help? Martha is pulling her hair out. She's got so much to do, and Mary is just sat down. Whenever I read this story, you will have noticed I get annoyed, strangely annoyed, and slightly suspicious. I'm like, Mary, what's your agenda? What are you doing? Get on with it. There's preparations. Because, of course, Martha wants to sit down at the feet of Jesus and chill out and have a lovely time. But how unrealistic. Who's picking up Mary's slack? It's Martha, of course. How easy for you to say, Jesus, slow down, sit at my feet. You've got all the time in the universe. You've invented it. I'm human. Let me have my moment here. And it goes without saying that we are all busy. We've established that by now, haven't we? Many of us will have heard that very famous statistic that in our cities we're walking 10% faster than we were a decade ago. In a study done last year, a whopping 7 out of 10 of us feel overwhelmingly busy, too busy to live our lives well. 
But we are Christians, aren't we? So we're not just going around living our lives, doing what we do, paying bills, studying for exams, maintaining friendships, looking after family, volunteering at church. We're not just busy. We're busy for Jesus, aren't we? And when I look at my life at church, for example, I love it. It's such a genuinely huge privilege. I love the church. I love it. In all her glory and quirkiness, I think it's just genuinely beautiful. But it can be pretty relentless. Most of you won't know this, but I work full-time for church. And then a year or so ago, I thought it would be a really good idea to do a counseling and therapy master's at the weekend. My husband, Mike, often works 60 to 70 hour weeks in the West End. And then on his one day off, we're often here in three services, leading or serving in some way. Life can feel crazy for all of us. We don't even have kids yet, so we get a little nap in the afternoon. But we've got stuff to do on this planet. We've got people relying on us and a calling to fulfill. I am very busy and therefore very, very important. And now we have to talk about slowing at church. Man, yes, yes, Jesus was slow, but not as slow as you, Mary. (laughs) Now, as a good trainee counselor, I began to process this strong emotional reaction to Mary sat at Jesus' feet. Why am I so cross with poor old Mary and Jesus? Of course, when I'm on Team Martha, calling at Jesus to move Mary along into action, I'm really asking Jesus to help me. I am calling out to Jesus saying, help me. I'm caught in this hurry and I can see those people who are sitting at your feet and I want it, but it feels like I can't have it. In this story, Jesus says, stop. Stop doing things for me and start doing things with me. Hearing that Jesus wants me to slow down and to come close, that I might know him and be known, is to sit in a place of vulnerability. And from that place, I am called into obedience and even deeper intimacy with him. A call to a life that isn't faffy and fruitless, but one that is focused and considered and deliberate. He calls Martha and me and you to slow down and to sit at his feet. Jesus took breaks. He was interruptible. He retreated into silence and solitude. He honored the Sabbath, but he also walked with face like flint towards the cross and set the history of the entire world. We are called to slow down that we might run the race marked out for us well. Of course, in the Jewish tradition, to sit at the feet of a rabbi means to learn from them, training and learning their way. And here Jesus is the rabbi, and Mary is sat at his feet learning from him. She is sat being attentive to Jesus, not distracted for him. Also, a very exciting moment here. Mary is a woman sat at the feet of Jesus, the rabbi. 
Jesus accepting Mary sitting at his feet is not only him endorsing slowing, but is him publicly endorsing and encouraging women to be, be discipled just as men are. So yay, Jesus. But we're all hurrying away from something. But in a slower, steady life, focused on intimacy and obedience, we find direction towards something. Someone, the person of Jesus. I don't know what it's been like for you hearing this message, but for me it's been like someone poking me right in the soul. Right in my savior complex. Right in my belief that I've built my life around. That if I do more, it will be okay. If I do more, it will be okay. You'll be okay. You'll be fine. Just keep doing more things. How many of us here are putting our trust in the doctrine of productivity, not in the safety of a truly intimate and obedient relationship with Jesus? How many of us are running around frenetically, doing more, being more, chasing more, all to answer the call of the belief that if we do more, consume more, we'll be okay, rather than answering the call of intimacy and obedience to one kind God. You see, Jesus does not burn people out. He does not burn people out. Yes, we have hard and holy things that are assigned for us to do, but he will not burn us out. This message is so hard to hear because I think deep down in our heart of hearts, we all long for the slow, deliberate life. Deep down, we want to slow down. But why aren't we doing it? Because it's hard. It's hard and holy work. Responding to the call of Jesus to walk slowly next to him means we must look at ourselves and what's behind our own hurry. Because busyness can be driven by brokenness. There is a difference in hurrying away from pain and fear and running towards the arms of Jesus. If I am really honest... In my own life, I strive and I work too hard because I'm always chasing the next thing. Gripped by this anxiety that the present isn't quite enough. If I do more, be more, see more, so that I won't have to pace, face some pain that I have buried deep inside. This will help me get tougher and cleverer and I'll be taken very seriously by everyone and that will keep me safe and secure. This can mean that I strive and chase, hurrying from one thing to the next, orchestrating life so I don't get stuck somewhere in case the next best thing that will really validate my existence is elsewhere. It's a brilliant distraction technique, isn't it? And it also means I can drive myself to exhaustion and become totally scattered. I've totally bought into the do more and it will be okay story. Do one more thing. Help one more person. Do one more thing for Jesus and he'll be really pleased and my life will matter. For you, it might be the same. It's likely to be different. Perhaps your hurry is there to hide shame, 
to manufacture some self-worth, to escape from guilt, to avoid pain, to build security, or perhaps to find significance. Maybe you're just a bit bored, but it's probable that we are all hurrying away from something. But in this slower, steadier life, focus on intimacy and obedience, we find direction towards Jesus. We are no longer individuals running around in a million different directions from the things that we fear the most, but we become a community plodding determinedly amongst and towards love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We submit to each other in love and lay our lives down to see the other flourish. Slowing makes room for intimacy with Jesus, obedience to God, and focus on our calling and each other. You see, if we never slow down to sit at the feet of Jesus, we won't be still long enough to hear him say, I love you regardless. I am safe. I have a plan. You are forgiven. You can trust me. I paid the price so you don't have to. This is who I am. This is who you are. If we don't sit still long enough to hear that, we are missing what it's all about. And of course, there is always grace. God is no less God and you are no less loved if we don't slow down. The truth is the truth regardless of whether or not we choose to slow down and hear those words for ourselves. But other people can tell you till they're blue in the face, but there is nothing like slowing down and hearing those words from Jesus himself. And there's a difference between a slow life and a holy plodding between serve and between serving one's own desire just to chill out and the discipline of slowing. It's unbelievably countercultural. Jesus is our example, and no one can argue that he wasn't on a mission, right? He probably invented the word mission. However, as well as Jesus praising Mary for the time sat at his feet, we read in 1 Thessalonians 4.11, and we are clearly instructed to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you. This is Paul's vision of success, an ambitiously quiet life. I wonder what comes to mind for you as I read that verse. Similar to the Mary and Martha feelings? Perhaps it's sweet relief. Perhaps it's frustrating. Perhaps it's a little bewilderment. Help, Jesus, I'm confused. What do you want? Do I sit? Do I stand? What do I do? Jesus' pace was slow, but he was focused. Jesus lived a focused disciplined life. Now, lots of you in this room will know that one of my favorite pastimes is just hanging out with people. If that could be an official hobby, that would be mine. Um, and I love asking people questions. And some of my favorite questions to ask are the blind date style 
questions. Do you know the ones I mean? Like, um, if you were a dog, what kind of dog would you be and why? You know, Scylla Black? Everyone here is like, who is Scylla Black? Well, yes. <laughs> Another great love of mine is Bonfire Night, and we're slightly out of season. But on Bonfire Night, I found myself in a wonderful situation. The perfect Scylla Black blind date style question was there in front of me for the taking. Which kind of firework would you be and why? With total glee, I asked the people around me. Immediately, I knew. I was like, I'm that really loud, really squealy firework that fires off in loads of different directions and then just fizzles out. And as soon as the words came out of my mouth, I recognized that's a really annoying firework to be. <laughs> and disappointingly, there were a few little nods. <laughs> and then, get this, someone else then said, no, I am a rocket. I am unimpressive at takeoff, but purposeful and spectacular when the time is right. <laughs> I was so jealous of their firework choice. In true squealy firework fashion, I immediately wanted to be the rocket. <laughs> I want to be a rocket. Hurry can turn us into these squealing fireworks. Fun and loud at first, but then spinning off in 12 different directions and then just fizzling out. Slowing makes us like the rocket. Purposeful, focused, and spectacular. In 1 Thessalonians 4.11, the Greek word for ambition here is one that also is used to convey goals that are deeply honorable, of deepest importance, and of great labor. The juxtaposition of Paul's words here are so powerful. Your deepest honor, your goal to chase, your great labor is to live a quiet life. John Mark Comer highlights here that Paul didn't choose loud or important or even impactful. Quiet. So what is this quiet life? Well, it looks like focusing on your calling, just as Paul encourages the Thessalonians to do. Scholars note that it is likely that the Thessalonians were a church of craft and tradespeople. Hence, Paul, who wrote this letter we're talking about, instructing them to work with their hands. If you're in PR or IT or theatre or anything like that, Paul isn't telling you to stop and become a potter. That might be relief or disappointment for you. I don't know. But he is encouraging us to focus on the work in front of us. Do what God has called you to do. Focus on your God-given assignment because you have one. Be a rocket in your calling, not one of the whizzing, unruly, squealing fireworks. But a quiet life, isn't that a bit boring? I've told you earlier, I am always chasing the next thing. Life will be very exciting and everything will be fine. My life will have plenty of meaning and then everything will be fantastic if I rescue a million people. God will love me more and I will be very special. Amen? <laughs> no! The modern world will tell us of the curse of the ordinary. But it's not a curse at all. Ordinary is 
beautiful. God made the ordinary. It's extraordinary. The danger of this lie that the ordinary is boring and embarrassing is that it draws us away from the crowd, our community. We are made for dependence on God and a healthy dependence on each other. And when we're driven away from the crowd in our specialness, we find ourselves in all sorts of hot water. Does this mean we don't work hard to see wonderful things happen? No. Paul tells us to work with our hands and to focus on that so that outsiders would see how we structure our lives and love each other well, that they would come to know the love of God too. Holy ambition focused on a quiet life isn't one that is flailing and running from hurry. It's a life with rhythms and rules that is running steadily towards Jesus within a community that is cheering you on. That sounds suspiciously like a Bible verse to me. In Hebrews 12, we read, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Of course, in this kingdom of paradoxes, running the race well means slowing down. And slowing down allows us to run the race well. The quiet life Paul is talking about gives us structure, purpose, and order so that we can enjoy the beautiful ordinary of every day. And then when we face difficulty, we are all the more prepared. Unhurrying and the quiet life is not laziness. Jesus was sometimes too busy, and on one occasion, he didn't even have time to eat. There are times when hurry is necessary and godly. No one wants an unhurried ambulance driver. If you're listening to this talk and you're an ambulance driver, please, please take extra special thought when choosing your moment to go slow. (laughs) It's about place. It's about being sat at the feet of Jesus, not our pace. It's about focus, not frantic busyness. And it's about doing things with Jesus, not for him. But how do we run the race marked out for us if we don't know where we're going? How will we know where we're going if we don't sit at the feet of Jesus, close to him, just as Mary did? How will we hear the starting gun? How will we hear when Jesus says, get up and run, slow down, rest, get up again? If we haven't learned to be obedient, how will we stay in our lane when we run the race? So why slow down? For the sake of intimacy and obedience, that we would know Jesus, ourselves, and others. That we can live the quiet, focused life that Paul instructs us to. And slowing is a spiritual discipline. So what is it and how do we do it? Well, in first, in order to really, really slow, we have to work out what's behind our own hurry. We have to spend time with ourselves and others and the Holy Spirit to understand this. Let me ask you this. Whose or what voice is dictating your day? 
What we give our attention to is the person that we become for good or bad. Every single thing that we let into our minds can affect our souls. So what is the first thing that you feed your brain with in the morning? Is it the news? Is it Instagram, the radio, our own anxious thoughts, demands of bosses on emails, expectations of friends and family? I'm horrible in the morning. It takes me ages to wake up and then I'm really grumpy. But there is good reason for arranging your life in such a way that the first thing you do is spend time with Jesus. Let prayer set your emotional equilibrium and scripture set your view of the world. Don't let Instagram have that one. Begin your day in the spirit of God's presence and the truth of his scriptures. Win the day. Some people call it winning the day. And I like this because I like things that I can win. And I know it's hard with all the demands that we face. But we need it. We need him. Perhaps if this isn't something you already do, maybe start with one morning a week and build up. You could use Lectio 365. So many people in this room are involved in making that app happen. It's a daily devotional app that you can download for free. You could get the Wildfires devotional. That's free now. That's exciting. Maybe take it up for Lent. Start a quiet time. Begin your day with Jesus. My life has gotten a little bit weirder since working for a church, and sometimes I hang out in monasteries now. So that's a thing that's happening in my life. And the most recent time, I met some monks. Yes. In their midday prayer, they read from one of their ancient texts. And the quote that stuck with me was this. Stay in your cell, and your cell will teach you everything you need to know. Stay in your cell, and your cell will teach you everything you need to know. They weren't in prison, these monks. That's what monks call their bedrooms, just to clarify. This is the idea that as we sit with ourselves and in the presence of the Holy Spirit, we learn so much about him and about the state of our own souls. It's not comfortable at first and all sorts of things might pop up, probably the things that we're trying really hard to hurry from. But it gets easier, I promise. And as we become aware of these things and allow the Holy Spirit to gently shape us and heal these wounds, beautiful things happen. When we slow down, we aren't met with a void of nothingness like the world would have you believe. Don't believe the rumors. You are met with the presence of God, a kind God with open arms. So we spend time exploring our own hurry. And secondly, we have to practice slowing itself. John Ortberg and Richard Foster identified slowing as a spiritual discipline particularly important for this modern age. Ortberg defines it as this. Cultivating patience by deliberately choosing to place ourselves in positions where we simply have to wait. The idea is, 
that as we slow down our bodies, we slow down our lives, and we slow down our souls. We are holistic, embodied creatures. What we do with our bodies affects our souls and vice versa. We know this stuff. But holy slowing means embracing the idea that the presence is a precious gift that connects us with the God of eternity. John Mark Homer dares us to join the longest queue in the supermarket, to drive in the slow lane, to walk slowly, to linger in moments that we might otherwise miss. All of this in order to be fully present to the God of eternity. And at the risk of being Captain Obvious for a minute, going slow doesn't mean deliberately putting yourself in the longest queue in the checkout at the supermarket and then arriving really late for an important meeting or stopping to talk with everyone who has a dog, which I have been known to do, I'm very embarrassing to go anywhere with, and missing an appointment and letting someone down. Going slow doesn't mean watching all the episodes of Cheer on repeat on Netflix for Jesus, which I am a little bit guilty of. Going slow means organizing your life in such a way that you can be present in the moment. Going slow enough to be present to the God who made you and delights in you. That you might have the time and energy to delight in everyone and everything that he made. To stop consuming and taste and see that the Lord is good. Because slowing is fun. You find out who God is. You find out that he is good. You find out who you are and what makes you wonderful too. Perhaps truly going slow means we aren't lolloping around and arriving late. We are arriving early to our meetings and appointments and conversations because we have created margin in our lives that leaves room for what it's all about. It means we are moving forward with intention, focused on intimacy with Jesus and obedience to God. What if we lived so slowly that we arrived early for our meetings, conversations, whatever we're doing, and could pray beforehand? Imagine if we got to a point in our lives where we were so unhurried that we could consciously invite the Holy Spirit into the meeting room or the place where we are before everyone else arrived, that we went slow enough to ask him what he is doing in the moment that we are in. Wouldn't that be beautiful? Think how that would change your life and the lives of those around you. To be living such a quiet life, so dedicated to the work of our hands and the spirit that we are aware of what he is doing within and around us and could join in. But I'm very sorry to inform you that slowing is a slow process. We can't eliminate hurry in a hurry. Be a bit rubbish if we could. I've been thinking about this for years, genuinely. And totally on brand with this entire message, there is no clever life hack for holiness. But the disciplines and practices of silence, solitude, and Sabbath will help you along the way. Will we have now completely unhurried, now this six-week sermon series is over? No. 
It's work and discipline that takes a lifetime. But as we put into practice what we have learned and follow the way of Jesus, we will encounter gradual changes and one day we will suddenly find ourselves in a slower existence. So slowing is the call to sit at the feet of Jesus and be reminded of who we are. To spend time with him, not just for him. It clears the fog that we find ourselves in, which is made up of so many voices competing for our attention. The one voice worth really listening to calls us by name back to who we were created to be and gives us the direction we need, the comfort, focus, discipline and joy we need to run the race marked out for us. In the fog, it's so easy to give all the authority to the voices of other humans, the advertising industry, the expectation of this crazy city we live in or our own distorted view of ourselves. But here's to unhurrying to standing still long enough in the presence of Jesus for the fog to clear and returning to follow the most beautiful and truest voice and vocation of all, the one that tells us that we are deeply loved and that we are to be servants of the underdog. Let's do as Paul instructed the church at Thessalonica, love each other well. Chase the quiet, extraordinary, ordinary life with as much grit and ambition as we can possibly muster, following in the way of Jesus and dedicated to the lives in front of us. Amen.